Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, speeding up back office operations at the State Department, driving IT modernization at USPTO. It's Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The Government Accountability Office is dismissing the latest round of bid protests for the $50 billion CIO SP4 IT services solicitation. The National Institutes of Health Information Technology Acquisition and Assessment Center, better known as NITAC, has indicated it will reassess its source selection methodology and make a new determination as part of the further corrective action. Requests for proposals for CIO SP4 were first issued in May 2021. The Department of Veterans Affairs is working to add new enforcement mechanisms to the Oracle Cerner Electronic Health Records contract. VA Chief Acquisition Officer Michael Parrish told lawmakers last week the agency is looking to add new penalty measures to the contract as part of discussions to exercise a five-year option for the EHR platform. This comes as both VA and Oracle Cerner face criticism from both sides of the aisle over the implementation of the EHR. You can read more about these stories and more at fedscoop.com. The State Department is using robotic process automation to cut the processing time for its monthly financial statement from two months to two days. Speaking at FedScoop's IT Mod Talks last week, State Department Chief Information Officer Kelly Fletcher said her organization is using AI to improve the efficiency of back office operations. In this highlight from her conversation with AWS's Mickey Iqbal, Fletcher explains the progress she's seen at the State Department since she joined. I want to baseline everyone's expectations. I've been at State for five months, um, and I have been just really overwhelmed by the good work that's happening. Um, but I want to be clear, all of this started before I got there, and so I'm just sort of uh, you know, speaking on behalf of the hard work that's been going on there. Um, so we've mostly been using AI Frankly, we've been using it embedded in software that we already buy. And this is something I expect moving forward. I don't think State is going to produce a lot of exquisite AI themselves, but I expect every tool that I use to have some embedded AI. And we're really at this time focusing on business processes, right? The business side of the house, which is like, um, you know, payroll, um, reimbursing folks for things, uh, a lot of HR. So I do, I want to give a couple examples because we've had really big success with uh, RPA. Uh, one is uh, COVID repatriation flights. So when folks were in an emergency circumstance, flown out of wherever they were around the world, we're in 270 locations worldwide. So, I mean, Vienna, Tonga, you name it, we're everywhere. Um, they filled out forms by hand. And then um, the great folks who work in our sort of comptroller office They were taking these hand-filled out forms and they were typing them in. This is not the best use of these folks with really good skills, right? This is not the best use of humans. Uh, So we used RPA, we got those forms uploaded and folks got uh, reimbursed faster and we were able to use um, the humans that we have to do human work. Um, So instead of doing the sort of robotic work that we could uh, simply use RPA for. One other example is Um, We've been building our monthly statements, our monthly financial statements. Um, We're very federated, so there's a lot of different bureaus. Uh, As you can imagine, when you're in uh, every country in the world, or almost every country in the world, you are spending money, um, all different kinds of money, right? It's a little bit complicated. 
Um, and so to make a monthly financial statement, it was taking two months. Um, so you can imagine that this is not data that we can make decisions with, right? It's two months old when we get it. Uh, and using RPA, we um, have now made that so that it's, I think, a couple of days. So in the business side of the house, we're using really cool technology to make humans do human work. That is really awesome to hear. I mean, given the breadth, the scale, uh, the diversity, and of course the federation of the systems that you manage, the, the human resources that you manage, it's really incredible um, that you're able to do this in such a short period of time. Uh, I know you talked about robotic process automation and other technologies now. I'm sure you're kind of tackling with some big challenges as part of the department. You've also set up some, some lofty goals that you got to meet and objectives. Uh, talk a little bit about you know, what role do you think AI is going to play and how are you going to apply AI to address some of those challenges and to meet some of those objectives and goals? Yeah, so I think the examples I gave are really powerful for the business side of the house. And the business side of the house is important, right? I need diplomats to have a computer. I need them to log in. I need them to have email. I need them to have a place to sleep. Um, I need them to be reimbursed. Uh, these, are, these are critical for us doing our mission. But our core mission is not payroll, right? Our, our core mission is diplomacy. Um, and for that mission, you know, honestly, our, our biggest asset is the data we have. But that data is narrative in many cases. It's, um, you know, it's decades old sometimes. We have our diplomats in the field have a ton of contacts. Are some of them in CRMs? Absolutely. But is that really the most valuable asset? And I think the most valuable asset are these narratives that our diplomats have been writing truly for decades. Um, so when we look at where we want to move in the future, we want to harness this technology um, to uh, actually understand this data better. And some of that's like quantitative. Like I can give examples like how many weather-related events were there in Southeast Asia, right? Like um, now I would need to, you know, have a human read thousands of pages of documents to answer that question. Um, but I think with AI, we could answer that question rapidly and, you know, mostly accurately. Um, but I will say that, you know, I think we can answer even harder questions. But this is where we're really looking for our industry partners. Uh, I don't think we're going to build this kind of AI ourselves. We're going to want to consume it uh, in a product um, and get some help maybe customizing it for our data set. But we need industry to help us. Awesome, awesome. And you know, with data uh, being a challenge for most organizations, you know, developing data strategy is extremely important. And of course, that's kind of central pivot a central pillar for uh, any AI strategy as well. Um, I'm sure you have a roadmap and a strategy for deploying AI over a longer period of time. Um, so if you kind of look at that roadmap, where do you think you are today in that journey and, and where are you going? Yeah, and here I really want to give a shout out to the CDO, so the Chief Data Officer for the U.S. Department of State, who's Matt Gravis, and he runs the Center for Analytics. So uh, he said something to me yesterday, actually, that I thought was brilliant. He said, when I first started, you know, I knew that what we needed to do was clean up our data. I needed our data to be um, more available, more accurate. Um, but what I didn't want to do is stand up like a data cleaning working group. Um, because you know who will attend that is no one. Uh, <laughs> no one will be excited about it. Um, it won't sort of drive becoming a, data, uh, a data-based organization. So what CFA has done is they've said, tell me your hard problems. 
and let us help you solve them with data. And you know, through that, frankly, we've organically had to you know, take care of a bunch of data and clean up the data and make the data more accessible. Um, but what we have right now is from, from our like, true mission, we have some examples of um, using data to inform decisions and using data to be predictive. You know, how do we think folks will vote in the UN? Well, let's look at historicals. Let's use some tools um, to get some answers to that. And so I really like this model of having very specific wins, right? And now we're starting to say more broadly, hey, see how we use that data to solve your problem. Um, there's a lot more data. Let's, let's get together and sort of figure out what is the next problem and then also how can we more broadly address the issues of data quality. Awesome. Getting wins with data, uh, that's a great call out. Uh, I know we have a, just a few minutes left, but there's another important question. Uh, I'm sure it's kind of prevalent in everybody's mind. With AI, there also come some challenges around trust, around data scarcity, uh, around bias, et cetera. Um, how, how's the department looking at these, and how do you, how do you um, look at these issues and concerns? Yeah, so I was most recently at DOD, and there, there was like a very clear use case of like, you cannot have a robot be shooting at people. You know what I mean? There was this like responsible AI, it's super important. And I got to state and I thought like, okay, got out of that, you know, now we're just going to use AI. And frankly, that was wrong. Um, at state, we're making really important decisions. So we're adjudicating visa applications. Um, we're renewing passports. Like we are making decisions every day that affect individuals in a very meaningful way. Yeah. And so uh, Matt, again, has written from the Center for Analytics, has, uh, they've put together uh, a pretty robust sort of uh, ethical AI plan and approach. But I think the key takeaway for us is humans will make decisions. Uh, we need AI to help them have all the right data. We maybe need AI to make a recommendation, but decisions will be made by humans uh, because they affect humans. So that's something we're really sticking by. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Fletcher. Uh, you know, it's great to hear about the journey that you're on, uh, the big mission and scope that you've got, and the wins that you're getting with data. Uh, really appreciate your time today. Thanks. This was fun. You can learn more about the State Department's AI implementation and see more highlights from last week's FedScoop event at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The first ever CrowdStrike Government Summit is just three weeks away. Join cybersecurity and government leaders featuring discussions on the capabilities, tactics, and technologies that will protect your agency and power your efficiency. It's happening Tuesday, April 11th at the Washington, D.C. Marriott Marquis. You can learn more and register for the event at govsummit.crowdstrike.com. Last month, you heard on the Daily Scoop podcast how the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is supporting one of the first federal civilian agency software factories. That software factory is supporting a remote workforce of nearly 500,000 employees and has shortened the development of programs from years to weeks. At IT Mod Talks, USPTO CIO Jamie Holcomb closed out the event by explaining the approach his organization takes to IT modernization. I'm standing between you and lunch. Not a good place to be. Uh, I was in the Army, and uh, you could take the boy out of the Army. You can't take the Army out of the boy. Standing in front of soldiers because the Army runs on its stomach, right? We got to get to lunch. All right, so they asked me to talk about how to get this done. How do you go from ideas to actions? How do you get the right people? Well, I tell you what, it's three ways, right? People, process, and tools. How do you get anything done?
people, process, and tools. So you need to have some top cover in that too. You need to have your executive champions be part of it because if the execs are not in line, you're not gonna get the money. So just think about that. That really needs to be aligned. I hate getting old. All right. So executive support, energy and vision, and then positive momentum. You have to consider that you're gonna have failures along the way, but don't let it drag the whole thing down. And I'll end this too by saying, fail fast and fail forward. That's coming. All right, in the process of things, customer experience and human-centered design has become so darn important. We really need to think about that. And tools, you need to have small dependable stacks. You need to have an automated CI-CD pipeline and you need, you need to let data decide for you. All right, let's talk about it. People, trusted co-pilots. Maverick had goose. I have guys like Spence Spencer and Stefan Mitchett and Mandy Moore. And I name those people because without trusted direct reports, without those trusted advisors, advisors, without those people that really do things, you're never gonna get ahead. It's all about the people that work. And so people have to be credible. They have to have a deep understanding of their stakeholders. And you as the leader need to hire for attitude. You need to hire for ownership and accountability. You need to hire the right type of people. I want people to make an impact and boldly move forward. I don't want a bunch of paper pushers. Oh, it's the worst thing in the world. And I want leaders who actually do something, that they look at the results and not just, well, I tried my best, because that doesn't matter. And if you don't tell the story, if you don't have the message, if you don't get out there like I'm doing right now, and over and over again in many different channels, you're never gonna get ahead because you need to have that constant drumbeat as a leader to make things happen. All right, here's probably the most profound thing I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna tip a hat to Max from Castle Run. I'm sorry, Kessel Run. The fact is that you need to purport ideas over rank more than anything else. We as a nation, always have embraced the new. We might not be so good about, you know, taking care of our old, but we're always about the new. So we need to make sure that we cultivate that newness. I pay people in their labor, not for their hands. I pay people for their minds, for their ideas, and to turn those ideas into impact. We have to seed ideas in order to make them grow. That's the leader's job. We also have, have an obligation of, as leaders to create that environment. Everybody talks about this, you know, I'm from the army, you can't be a, a wallflower in the army. But at the same time, you have to create psychological safety for people in their ideas. If you don't have that safety, if you don't purport to embrace new ideas, you'll never get the best ideas. And we talk so much about diversity, about here, about there, about this characteristic, about that characteristic. The thing we're not talking about, the diversity of thought. 
We really need to have that as our primary diversity point. And there's no, much, no better thought than the thought of dissent. Think about that. Think about how the government operates. Oh, we have to have consensus. Oh, we have to have alignment. Well, of course you do. You got to execute the play once you call it. But how do you get to know what that best play to call is unless you're listening to the people on the field? Now, I agree, once the play is called, you need to execute with ferocity. You need to get out there and do it. But when you come back to the field, you also need to think about what's going on, what happened during the play. How can we adapt and do things differently? I take my inspiration from two of our best presidents, George Washington and Dwight Eisenhower. What they did, I try to follow all the time. They created war councils and they listened and they listened intently to everybody, including the people who had dissent. And once everybody had their time to hear and once you could really think about all the different aspects of the problem, only then did they make the decision and they executed with veracity. So ideas over rank and tangible results. Finally, a little more, uh, a little less serious, a little more humor. Um, I'm trying to bring some commercial experience into the government. And so the tools that we use are very important. Those tools are, I call, the new ways of working. And in our new ways of working, we use commercial, iterative, and incremental improvements. You do things based on a quarterly basis. You use 30, 60, and 90-day pilots, and you adjust and adapt. You don't do this yearly thing. We are failing in the government because we're always in the future. You have to do things in the present right now. And they have to show how they're incrementalizing and getting better and adapting. Also, plan, do, check, act. You heard before from one of the speakers about Deming. Awesome. We need to plan the work and work the plan. And finally, as I'm heading off the stage, we need to embrace failure. The only way we get ahead, or the best way to get ahead, is to learn from your mistakes. If you don't make any mistakes, how do you learn anything? What you planned worked perfectly. I don't believe in perfection. Doing is better than perfection all the time. Thanks a lot for having me. Again, that was USPTO CIO Jamie Holcomb. You can find the link to my conversation with Jamie about his agency software factory at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again Thursday afternoon. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.